So we're on to lesson 15 in the Exodus series. And I'm going to juggle lessons 15 and 16. I'm down to do 15 and 16. I'm going to do 16 first um, because that seemed to appeal to me to um, be the more logical one to, to do first. Um, I'm not sure how many people have access to the breakdown of the topic, but lesson 15 was going to be the presence of the Lord in the cloud um, and in the fire. Um, and then lesson 16 was remember and celebrate. I'm going to bring the remember and celebrate forward, um, not least because it fits in with our Easter celebration today, which um, happens at the same time as the celebration of the Passover. Our reading is Exodus 12, the second half, verse 33 to 35, and then the first 16 verses of chapter 13. For me, a key verse, and bear in mind our title, is Remember and Celebrate. And that's a um, kind of the over... the headline of our topic today. And I'd like to draw our attention to chapter 13, verse 3. So you can look out for that as we read it and how it fits in um, with the uh, context. But it says, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. It seems to me that in these two chapters, um, or at least the second half of chapter 12 and the first half of chapter 13, it's all about the command to remember and to celebrate. I was saying how much, I was saying to Ian, how much I enjoyed listening to him read the scriptures. Um, and actually that, that's been a, a useful um, character, characteristic of this study, is we've taken the time to read the scriptures. And I, I think if they're read well, it's a really great um, thing to, to go through. So it's quite a long reading. Um, I haven't got the same um, gift of oratory that Ian has. I've, I've practiced, so I'll do my best. But we'll read um, the, the two passages from Exodus, and then later on I have a couple of New Testament uh, passages of Scripture to read as well. But let's go to Exodus 12, verse 31. We'll start there. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favourably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock and flocks and herds. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. 
Now the length of time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have brought may eat, it, eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males of his household circumcised. Then he may take part like anyone born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today is the month of Abib. You are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during these days, during these seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell us, son, I did this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the Lord of the Lord <clears throat> is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and to give it to you, as he has promised on oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come when your son asks, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. I have um, <clears throat> just uh, two or actually three or four key messages that I'd like us to reflect on. Um, and we'll turn also to uh, what I consider to be a very key New Testament passage that links with this. I would um, put it to us that for the first time, 
And bear in mind, we have the benefit of all Scripture, um, Old Testament and New Testament, and we can see the Holy Spirit working in pulling all Scripture together, and we have the bigger picture of God's plan for salvation and for his people. But I would put it to us that it's not until we get to the Exodus Passover that for the first time we start to see something of God's plan of salvation unfolding. And there's um, a couple of things that are very key in that. One is the concept of the shedding of blood for salvation. There are a couple of hints in Genesis that um, perhaps this um, was a principle that was laid down, but it's certainly not as in your face as the story of the Exodus. And the, the two incidents I'm thinking of is when Adam and Eve fell, and it says that the Lord made coverings for them from skins. So that was arguably the first time an animal was taken, the life of an animal was taken um, for the purpose of dealing with sin. The second one I could think of was um, the story of Abraham and Isaac, Genesis um, 20, sorry, Genesis 22, when um, the ram that was caught in the bush was taken. And it's a, a beautiful parallel that we've often reflected on of how that lamb was taken as a substitute for Isaac, who was uh, released uh, from being sacrificed. So there are, of course, other sacrifices of animals mentioned. Um, Abel's sacrifice, for example. Um, also Noah at the end of the flood. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't necessarily see uh, up until now that we have a very clear statement about the importance of the life of an animal being taken um, as part of uh, a salvation process. That's one point. The second is, I think, we're learning for the first time about the principle and concept of redemption. And um, in Exodus 13, we've read, we've got this lovely image of a father and son. And um, the father is going through this process of sacrificing. I love to think of the excitement of a, a little Israeli family and a new donkey has just arrived. And you can imagine the excitement in the, um, in the little boy. And um, the father has to go and make a sacrifice if the new donkey, uh, the baby donkey, is to survive. And the little boy would be saying, this is bizarre, you know, what, what are you doing that for? And um, remember, we're talking about remembrance, remember and celebrate. And that would be a regular vehicle by which the um, Jewish families would teach the youngsters about the story of the Exodus. Sometimes when we live like we do, um, so many, I think it's three and a half thousand years on from this event, with the, all of the scripture at our disposal, um, we kind of lose sight of how it must have been in those days. And we're, we're at a time when, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there was any scriptures. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, and maybe that was a work in progress at this point. And um, they would have only had 
statements about God's promise to um, Jacob, for example, as uh, and Abraham, as uh, by word of mouth passed down through the generations, and they would have had a real sense of um, by historical story that they were a special people. And, you know, we read that there were 430 years, I would suggest something like 400 of them, had been in pretty brutal slavery to Egypt, to the Egyptians. And you can imagine, um, I was looking up, you know, the definition of a generation is about 25 years, as um, so to do with the average age at which uh, a couple produce another child. And this is 430 years. This is about 15 or 16 generations. That's 16 lines of, of um, offspring away from the time when um, Joseph and, and his father went to Egypt. And they were there celebrating. They were there because they were saved from the famine. It was a real positive experience. And it, it didn't take long before that degenerated into the people of Israel becoming um, slaves to the Egyptians. And, you know, imagine a family who now were on the brink of going through the Exodus. This thing that had been uh, promised and it was passed down, the story had been passed down to them that God will give us uh, a land that we can call our own. They'd been, um, you know, 15 or 16 generations of refugees. In a, in a land that they couldn't call their own, that had evolved into this brutal slavery. And they're very privileged to be living at the time when God's promise to their ancient ancestors was finding, beginning to find its fulfillment. And, you know, we, we've been studying the, um, the plagues and, uh, of course, the impact that Moses would have had and Aaron and the way this was reported to the leaders of Israel, the way Pharaoh responded to it, and then the plagues come. And you can imagine the, um, you know, the excitement and the conjecture that there would be uh, amongst the people. Is God really now going to lead us out of Egypt? Are we finally going to have our own uh, country that we can call home? Are we finally going to find ourselves in an environment where we're free to worship God the way he wants us to? All of these things have been um, nothing more than an ancient promise. And here now are the people and they're living um, through the reality of God bringing them out of Egypt. There's overtones there, isn't there, of our own situation. Um, reflecting on the news this week, um, there's some really dodgy stuff going on, isn't there, in North Korea, and you kind of wonder, these very powerful men that are around, um, what really is going to happen? And the instinct in my heart is the, Lord, the Lord's return must be so soon. Um, and that's been a promise for 2,000 years. And um, while this isn't a direct parallel with the Exodus story, that's about salvation, I think there is a lesson there about reading the signs of the times and being ready 
Um, and I just encourage us to, to think about that. We have a phenomenal hope, a great prospect of the guaranteed return of the Lord for us and extracting us from this world that can be so uh, depressing because of the impact that sin has had. So we're, we're thinking of this 15th, 16th generation um, family, group of families, and they are going, they're living at a blessed time when they're going through the reality of God's promised deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Why was it that in the midst of all of these um, things that were going on, in terms of the complexity of God's plan and his instructions to them to um, go through this kind of bizarre process of taking a lamb as, as we were thinking about in the last couple of sessions that Ian led us through and killing it and, and putting its blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Um, in the midst of all of this, it seemed to me that over and over again, God is telling Moses and Moses is passing it on to the people. These are very important things for you to get hold of. And they will be a annual celebration and a lasting ordinance is the word so that future generations will remember and um, celebrate the amazing delivery that God achieved in bringing his people out of Egypt. I was thinking of the experience of the Lord as a young Jewish boy being brought up in these traditions and he would have so enjoyed with his peer group and with his parents the celebration of the Passover. And as a boy, he, I don't believe, would have had any extra special insight. He would be learning about the Jewish traditions and learning from God's word just like anyone else's own age. And they would be reflecting as they celebrated the Passover, the wonder of God's delivery of the people from Egypt. We have such a fuller picture though, because we now see why it had to be a lamb that was taken. Um, and I guess there's lots of fuel for meditation in all that went on in relation to the lamb. Um, and the people getting ready, you know, they ate it with uh, their clothes on, ready to go, to, with their travelling clothes on, I should say, um, ready to make the trip out of Egypt. And then there's the business of, um, strange picture, they seem to be carrying half-made, half-baked bread, and they didn't have the time to add the yeast. Um, and that seems to be the reason why they took bread with them without yeast because they didn't have time to allow it to cure or whatever that expression is. And we now know, and the Lord would have known as he um, became more and more educated in the significance of these things, that the yeast was speaking of the impact of sin. And all of these little details associated with the Passover 
and the means of remembering and celebrating, um, each of those details had something significant about it. With that in mind, I want us to go to um, Luke 22, and we were there this morning in John's Thanksgiving. We're now um, with the Lord in his early 30s, so he'd celebrated the Passover 30 times. And um, I can imagine it was a very special event that he would have enjoyed firstly with his family and then latterly with his disciples. And this was now the last time that they would be celebrating, um, he would be celebrating the Passover before his suffering. Verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found the things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The older versions say, It is with desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you. It's a very strange expression. Um, in the modern versions, it says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. All I can say is this was a pivotal time in the Lord's ministry with his disciples. And I can imagine as time was going by and as all of the fullness of what he would have to face in fulfilment of God's salvation plan, actually the fulfilment of the Old Testament Passover shadow <clears throat> as this time approached. I can imagine the Lord thinking, I'm going to be celebrating the Passover like it's never been celebrated before. Um, actually, it's 1,400 years later. And um, you've got all of that um, tradition gone on in the past and of course a whole lot more has come into it in terms of um, the tabernacle and the temple and God's instructions for um, worship in terms of sacrifice um, but we're now in the Lord's life coming to a point when the sacrifice of all sacrifices the one that was um, 
illustrated in the Passover was now finding its fulfilment. And the Lord Jesus meets with his disciples and he said, I've so eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer because, you know, from here onwards, it's never going to be the same again. Um, I was thinking that they must have um, really looked forward to the annual Passover feast and um, taking the, um, the lamb. Um, I don't mean to be a bit, to be irreverent in any way, but, you know, we look forward to our turkey at Christmas. Um, the Jews must have, you know, been so looking forward to this very important religious and family time and they took a lamb. All of, the, all of that, of course, is significant, but when the Lord meets with his disciples for the last time, he changes not just the significance of it and takes it on to the ultimate level, um, but he's also changing the symbols and the frequency uh, and I think this is uh, something very special for us to reflect on, remember and celebrate. We're now not encouraged to take a lamb. We're encouraged to take a loaf and wine. Much simpler, much more readily available. And we're not doing it once a year. And an interesting conversation, I may have mentioned it to some of you already, with some Jehovah Witness friends that... Um, I'm working with at the moment and they were saying um, how they don't celebrate Easter but they celebrate the Passover and their question to me was why do you do it every week when clearly in the Bible it's just a, a once a year exercise which of course the Passover was but you have really interesting verses like they continued steadfastly in the breaking of the bread when actually the church was only a few a few weeks old so if that was a, if the breaking of the bread was a, an annual event, how can you continue steadfastly when it's only a few weeks old? And um, you have, of course, um, Acts 20, where they broke bread on the first day of the week, which is where we get it from. And there's a, there's a transformation from the religious festival that was the Passover, an annual thing with all of its complex regulations, to the simplicity of... Um, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the breaking of the bread. And the Lord is giving it a whole new um, meaning. It's the blood of the new covenant. And it's his body which is given for us. And all of a sudden, and I guess this would have dawned on the disciples as they began to remember the Lord post his ascension, um, the real significance of the Passover that they'd celebrated so many times before with him and now it had been displaced by um, what we now know as the remembrance. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 talks about as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's another verse which for me demonstrates that there's a, a higher frequency than just once a year. It's um, coming back to our title, Remember and Celebrate. The Lord so knows us, doesn't he, that if this festival that we celebrate 
on the first day of every week wasn't um, initiated by him, we would be so inclined to forget. And I was telling my Jehovah Witness friends, actually it really is the highlight of my week. <laughs> you know, um, because we, we come together and we're so keen to hear what the Lord has given each of us um, as we listen and contribute ourselves silently or audibly. And I love the singing um, about the preciousness of our Passover lamb. And we do this and in so doing proclaim the Lord's death. We could um, reflect on the detail and it's a healthy thing to do on the um, actual Passover that Moses initiated. Um, but we have so much more to add to that because of how the Lord transformed it into a celebration of him as our Passover lamb. One last scripture to go to, and I um, found this the context of this a little bit of a surprise. When we're thinking about the Passover, we would... I think naturally on our minds go to 1 Corinthians 5 where it says for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed quoted that myself many times but have we ever looked at the context I haven't so let's read just a few verses in 1 Corinthians 5 and this is our punchline for today our takeaway challenge the context is the church of God in Corinth being encouraged to deal with a sinful man that's the context. And we'll go to verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I think the context in which the Lord is described as our Passover lamb is about holy living. And it's about holy living in the context of the Church of God. And it's put in there in a discussion about yeast, which is an illustration of the impact that sin has on lives and service. And it seems to me that Paul is saying to the Corinthians, um, Christ our Passover lamb has been offered, our sin has been dealt with, and we should behave like it's been dealt with. And what are you doing? You are allowing corruption in the church, and that needs to be dealt with. Don't, don't, um, don't behave as though that's acceptable. Christ our Passover lamb has been offered, and on that basis, our behavior should have eliminated any traces of the yeast of sin that so easily corrupts. Perhaps it's a little bit of a, um, a spin on what we would normally be thinking of in the Passover um, and the remembrance that it became. But it just appealed to me that a little exploration into the context of that very famous verse as we celebrate Christ as our Passover lamb. If he really, if we live our lives 
in the context of him having dealt effectively with our sin, then there should be no evidence of that sin spoiling our individual and collective service. Shall we pray?